So how in the world are you all doing? Everybody okay here? There is a story, I was not able to check it out, but uh, somebody from the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency of Washington, was in your state of Oklahoma checking on a farmer because they accused him of growing marijuana. I don't know whether or not marijuana is legal, but in those days it wasn't. And according to the story, the farmer said, you can go anywhere on my farm except that field over there, but you can check. The official whipped out his badge, shoved it in the farmer's face, and said, the DEA, I have all the authority of the government. I can go wherever I want to go. The farmer said, okay. And of course, as you might guess, the official went into that field over there first. A few moments later, the farmer hears this shriek and the official is running across the field and a great big bull is about to gore him. And the farmer shouts, show him your badge, show him your badge. I thought that was funnier than many of you thought that was. But you know, sometimes you have authority and sometimes you don't. But I want to thank you so much for the opportunity of being here today. I, of course, bring you greetings from the wonderful city of Chicago that you've probably heard about on the news for various reasons. And I've had wonderful fellowship with your pastor, Pastor Bill, and uh, other members here, and uh, so glad to see all of you. I'm speaking today on the topic of how to survive a storm. And as I was thinking about preaching on this, the question came to my mind, can I legitimately preach this message, and would it apply to the people in the Ukraine today? Because if it doesn't apply to them, it doesn't apply to us. Now, I have special interest in the Ukraine because my wife and I visited there many years ago, but in addition to that, my parents were Germans, but they were brought up in the Ukraine, and uh, in World War I, they became refugees. My father's family went to Afghanistan, his mother, my grandmother died there. My mother's family went to Siberia, lots of suffering. They came back in 1918, after the war was over, they came to Canada independently, met in a little church. My father asked if he could walk my mother home. And uh, this is their first date. Young people, stop your ears right now. Because on the way, he asked whether or not she would marry him. She said she'd have to think about it, but within three weeks, they were married. And they lived together for 77 years. My father died at 106, my mother at 103. My parents lived so long that I'm sure until my father died, all of their friends in heaven thought that they just didn't make it. You know, they said, <laughs> where are the Lutzers? But the Lutzers made it. So as I look at the Ukraine today and realize that that's where my parents grew up, I have to ask myself the question, how do we survive that storm? One of the pastors in the Ukraine was asked whether or not he was going to leave and flee, and he said no. He said, if the church is not relevant, if the church is not relevant during a time of crisis, the church is not relevant during a time of peace. So the message that I'm preaching you today, if it were not relevant in a time of crisis, 
It would not be relevant in a time of peace. How to survive a storm. Now, all of you have your Bibles, and of course I know. I was told that this is the younger group that meets at this time, and so you don't have Bibles, but you have cell phones, and you have, uh, you know, uh, jackhammers, and you've got all kinds of other equipment that you bring. And so find the passage, find the passage in Matthew chapter 14. And by the way, it's better that you find it on your phone than that you not find it at all. So I'm not criticizing you, but I want to say this. There's some young people here right at the very front. I want you to take notes today. I want you to take the seven lessons that we're going to learn. There's room at the back of your bulletin, and I want you to take them home and tell your parents to put them up on the fridge because they're going to need this, all right? You got that? I'm going to keep my eye on these three young people that are sitting really close up front. God bless you. God bless you. Matthew chapter 14, I'm going to pick it up at verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went on the mountain by himself to pray. When morning came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. In this congregation this morning, there are many of you who would say that that's your story. You might be in the midst of a divorce, you might be in the midst of an economic crisis, a health crisis. Maybe this past week the doctor even told you something that was true about your body that you thought could only be true of someone else and you are battling a storm, a relational storm, health storm, economic storm, whatever. You're in the right place today because we're going to learn how to survive a storm. Seven lessons, and uh, you know, with this light in my face, it's a little hard for me to see the folks on the other side here in the front row. But over here, we have some who are in the very, very front of the front row. God bless you in unpredictable ways. <laughs> in heaven, your crown is going to be so heavy that your head is going to be tilted, all those of you who are here. What are the lessons that we must learn? Number one is simply this, that sometimes storms come to us in obedience to Christ. You say, well, were the disciples in the will of God? Obviously they were in the will of God. Wouldn't you love it if Jesus came to you and said to you directly, get into that boat and go to the other side? Don't you wish that you had that kind of direction from God that Jesus would come out of heaven? and tell you exactly what to do. But in obedience to Christ, they encountered one of the greatest storms that they had ever encountered on Galilee. You and I have to know that you may be in a crisis today. But just because you're in a crisis today does not mean that you are out of God's will. Even if you are having some relational problems in your marriage and when I spoke this morning, I pointed out that marriage is two people solving problems together that they'd have never had if only they'd stayed single. That's a very important thing for many of you young people to know. But anyway, 
Uh, you know, no matter what storm you are in, you must recognize that just because you're in a storm doesn't mean that you're out of God's will. You may be in the center of God's will. God's will oftentimes is the hard path. It's the path with wind. It's not a calm path. Elizabeth Elliot, just this past week, somebody wrote to me and said that she said these words. She said that uh, loving God means giving thanks for all that love has provided by divine appointment. If I might put it as clearly as I possibly can, the disciples were in this storm by divine appointment. And you may be in a storm today by divine appointment. There's a second lesson we must learn, and that is that uh, we should always be reminded in storms, always be reminded of God's promises. You say, well, where is that in the text? Well, you'll notice that the text says very clearly, Jesus said, go to the boat, go into the boat, and go to the other side. In other words, if they had listened carefully to the words of Jesus, they could have enjoyed that storm. Because if the creator of the winds and the oceans says, go to the other side, you will make it to the other side. After all, there was no way that this boat could drown. Peter was on this boat, and he had not yet written his letters of 1 and 2 Peter. He had not yet preached his sermons. John was on this boat, and God still had work for John to do. And there is no combination of men and demons who can put an end to your life if, you, if God thinks you still have work to do. My wife and I, during this past year, have experienced many people who've had COVID, and some have died just as in your area. And so we take precautions, but at the same time, we realize that ultimately we are in God's will and not even COVID can kill us if God thinks he still wants us alive. Now this morning I pull, pulled out this mask. This mask is not N95. It is way beyond N95. I still wear this mask from time to time. It is so good that it even filters out the oxygen. <laughs> so we do what we can, and thank you for catching on so quickly over here. We do what we can, but at the same time, we know that ultimately we are in God's hands. And so we believe that the storm should remind us of the promises of God and what we do is, if they had listened carefully, they'd have understood. We go to the promises that belong to us. Romans 8, no one shall separate you from the love of Christ, shall tribulation, distress, persecution, nakedness, peril, or sword. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Thank you. And uh, you think, for example, of Hebrews 13, 5, I will never, never leave thee nor forsake thee. Five times in Greek there are negatives. What God is saying five times is never, 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 never. I will never leave you nor forsake you. You hang on to the promises of God. They should have listened carefully to the words of Jesus. And they could have endured the storm more easily. So go to the promises of God. 
There's a third lesson, and it may be the most important. Even when we cannot see Jesus, Jesus sees us. Jesus sees us. Now, if you've been to Galilee, you know that it's surrounded by hills. In the Bible, they're called mountains. But the disciples had no idea where Jesus was. The preceding verses tell us that he went up to the mountain himself to pray. So they have no idea where he is. They can't see him, but he can see them. In fact, he knew the longitude and the latitude of their little boat. He knew the depth of the water. He knew the speed of the wind. He could see them with clarity. And you know, today, there are times, you know, that are so dark in our lives where we can't see God. Many of you suffer with depression, and you have to know that feelings are not facts. Feelings are not facts. You may not see God, but God sees you. I had a friend by the name of Mark with whom I played tennis for 20 years. I mentioned to the folks in the morning, and I'll say this here too, that uh, tennis players sometimes make bad husbands and bad fathers. And the reason is because to a tennis player, love means nothing, okay? I must be going too fast for some of you. Love means nothing. But the point is this, he was told he had terminal cancer. One time before he died, he told me how he left the bedroom with such pain, and he said he went onto the couch in the living room, and he said, all faith just drained from my soul. And there are times like that. Matthew Henry, a commentator, said that God hides himself in the darkness, but never far away. And what you and I must recognize is that when push comes to shove in life, as it so often does, it is more important that God see us than that we see God. God sees you today in that relational sadness, that brokenness. He sees you in your, in your economic tragedy and your economic um, storm. He sees you in your health storm, maybe even this week. There's somebody here who was told by a doctor that you have some terminal disease. And you think to yourself, Jesus, do you see? Do you care? And the answer of Scripture is yes. Jesus sees you on your little boat tossed by the waves. There's a fourth lesson that we must learn, and that is simply this, that Jesus comes to us at the right time. He comes to us at the right time. You'll notice that the Bible says, and this is now verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it is a ghost. They cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. You'll notice that he comes to them when? Four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock when it is the darkest. Four o'clock when the disciples were most weary, having toiled almost all the night. Four o'clock in moments of desperation, Jesus shows up. Jesus loves desperate people because it is desperate people who pray. As long as we're not desperate, we don't pray. So here is a moment in which the disciples are exhausted. 
And that's the moment that Jesus comes to them. And sometimes he comes to us in our exhaustion, in our great need. My wife Rebecca and I know a woman who was selling her body. That's the way she was making money. Terrible lifestyle. She told us that she used to pray, Oh God, deliver me from this lifestyle. But he never did. Until one time she was so desperate, she got on her knees and said, Oh God, deliver me or kill me. Do one or the other. And she meant it. And that was the day that she walked free. A moment of desperation. God is the just-in-time God. I think of Abraham, who's about willing to sacrifice his son. The knife is gleaming in the morning sunlight, and, and suddenly God says, No, Abraham, don't do it. And just in time, just in time, there is a ram caught in the thicket. Just in time. Jesus comes to us. At the point of our great need, just in time. There's another lesson, and that is this, that uh, this would be lesson number five. Our fear might be Jesus in disguise. Jesus in disguise. Jesus in camouflage. You'll notice that the disciples don't recognize Jesus. They cry out and say, it is a ghost. In those days it was believed that the ghosts often accompanied um, and were actually able to uh, physically appear, the ghost of various people. By the way, I do believe in ghosts. Ghosts are actually demons. There are such a thing as haunted houses. But the disciples, they don't see Jesus. They aren't expecting him. So they say it is a ghost, and they misinterpret the fear that they had and they don't recognize that Jesus is in the storm. Maybe I can put it to you this way. The wind that broke them, that brought them the storm, is the same wind that brought them Jesus. And Jesus comes to us in our storms. I remember my wife Rebecca gave me an article written by a woman. They had a baby that was now 14 years old, but the child was a special needs child. Of course, when the child like that is born, the couple begins to ask, what did we do wrong? Why us? Messing up our schedules, messing up our whole lifestyles, wondering what in the world they did to deserve that. They didn't see God in that storm at all. But now, 14 years later, they said, we didn't realize that Jesus was coming to us in that little child. But they didn't see it that way at the beginning. To go back to my friend Mark, when he was told he had terminal cancer, I can tell you this, he sure didn't see Jesus in that storm. When we were still able to play together, we'd sit down after a game and he would begin to cry and I'd sit with him, try to encourage him, cry along with him. We, he didn't see Jesus in his cancer. But before he died, I said, Mark, have you ever thanked God for your cancer? And he said, I thank God every day for my cancer. Because you see, he said that heaven used to be very theoretical, but now he said it is a reality. He began to see Jesus in that storm. And if I might quote Elizabeth Elliot one more time, she said this, in acceptance, there is peace. 
in acceptance there is peace. Don't strive with the Almighty. Isn't it Zophar in the book of Job is just coming to mind while I'm speaking who says, Why dost thou strive with the Almighty? He giveth not account of his matters. God is very mysterious in many ways. He's knowable, thankfully, but also a great deal of mystery. But don't, don't strive with God in acceptance of circumstances that you cannot change. There is peace. And we need to recognize the fact that Jesus is in the midst of that storm. I've had my own storms in ministry, and I can tell you this, that when they come, we don't see Jesus. But later on, you begin to recognize Jesus was coming to me in unpredictable ways in that storm. Well, there's another lesson, and that is number six. The water that threatens to be over our heads is actually under his feet. I want you to visualize Jesus coming to the disciples, walking on the water. Here he is. What is it that they feared, by the way? Of course they feared drowning. They feared the water. And here Jesus is walking on the water as if it is a marble floor. The water that threatened to be over their head, that they feared, was under the feet of the sovereign Christ. Would you remember that we serve a king who, is, who has already conquered? We serve a king who has already conquered. In the morning service, we heard a few amens. I heard a few faint ones back there, but I don't know Oklahoma. It might be illegal for you to say amen in a service. But I want you to visualize Jesus above your storm, above your pending divorce, above even your wayward child. I want you to look at Christ. Paul says in the book of Ephesians, he is above every principality and every power and every name that is named both in this world and in the world to come. The sovereign Christ has your storm under his feet. Thank you, sister. If you fill out the right form, God will even bless you more. <laughs> oh, folks, we always need a fresh vision of Jesus, don't we? And his absolute sovereignty even over Ukraine and over Russia. Well, there's another lesson. Our ability to walk depends upon the focus of our eyes. Verse 28 Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he began to sink and cried out and said, Lord, save me. Many of you are going to leave this service, you're going to get into your car, and what you're going to do is see the wind. That's your problem, that's my problem. All that we can see is the wind. And Peter is seeing the wind. He glances at Jesus and he begins to walk. He sees the, excuse me, sees the wind and he's distracted and beginning to sink. And you know, those of us who are pastors, like your pastor Bill and me, we, uh, 
We often pray long prayers, and I appreciate the fact that this is a church of prayer. But I have to tell you this, when you're going under the water, this is not a time for a long prayer. A short prayer is going to have to do three words. Lord, save me. A prayer directly to the point. And Jesus immediately reaches out his hand. By the way, your Bibles are open. Your cell phones, your iPads, whatever it is that you have. And for some of you, you actually do have a Bible. Could, If you're under 40, would you look up here for just a moment? This actually is a Bible. Do you see this? This is a Bible. <laughs> but I want you to notice that Jesus is the immediate Jesus. It says in verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Verse 27, immediately Jesus spoke and says, take heart, it be not afraid. And now in verse 31, immediately he reached out his hand and he took hand, uh, hold of him. And he said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Let me ask you a question. What was Peter's greatest problem? Was Peter's greatest problem the speed of the wind? Was it the depth of the water? Was it the waves? Was it the boards on the boat that were creaking? No, his greatest problem and your greatest problem and my greatest problem is lack of faith. We no longer see Jesus in our storm. We are distracted. And there's nothing that distracts us more than this thing up here, namely a cell phone. We are so distracted that we have no time to look at Jesus. Now, pastors like Pastor Bill, maybe not Pastor Bill, but people like me, we sometimes have criticized Peter. We've said, Peter, if he had only kept his eyes on Jesus, he could have walked across the whole lake. Well, yeah, but give Peter at least credit for getting out of the boat. There are so many people who never get out of the boat. They just live within that comfort zone and they will not so much as put a toe in the water. So thank God for Peter being willing to get out of the boat. To put it as clearly as I possibly can, a wet Peter is better than a dry Thomas. So get out of the boat. Be willing to take a reasonable risk for Jesus. And so Peter's problem is lack of faith. Takes his eyes off Jesus. If you ask, well, how do I keep my eyes on Jesus? If I might refer to my friend Mark one more time. When I asked him that, about two or three weeks before he died, he went over to a, a shelf and showed me, laminated, about a hundred promises of God. And he said, whenever I become fearful, I look to the promises of God. You keep your eyes on Jesus. And he made it through, he made it through a lot of suffering, even the cross, and he is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Tony Evans, who's a great pastor, he tells this story, which I verified personally with him. He and his wife Lois, now his wife Lois is in heaven now, but they were on a cruise and Lois, um, over the intercom came the words, we're headed into a storm, buckle up, this is going to be hard. And so they uh, 
buckled up, but Lois didn't like that, so she tried to phone the captain. She spoke to his assistant and said, why don't we just put down the anchor and then wait until the storm is over? And after the storm is over, we resume our journey. Well, the captain's assistant called her back after speaking with the captain and said he has two things to say to you. And I'm sure that they were said very kindly and very tenderly, but number one was, he's in charge and you're not. Very important for you to know, you're not in charge, thank you very much. And then the assistant said this, and I want you to write it down. Those of you who are taking notes who are going to be unusually blessed by God, I want you to write this down. The captain said, tell her that this ship was built with this storm in mind. And when you and I trust Jesus Christ, who was crucified, who died on the cross, was buried and raised again and taken into heaven triumphantly, he went through all that with our storm in mind. And because of that, you'll notice here, by the way, he gets into the boat with the disciples, the Bible says. They got into the boat. They got into the boat. That is Jesus with them. The wind ceased, and Jesus took them all the way to the other side of the lake. And Jesus is able to take us all the way to the other side of the lake. He's in the boat with us. And it ends by saying that they worshipped him. The purpose of trials always is to end up worshipping Jesus and seeing Jesus in new light and seeing him for all that he is in his sovereignty. Now, there are some of you who aren't going to trust the captain, the Lord Jesus Christ, until your little boat is smashed against the shore, against the rocks. And then in desperation, you're going to call out and you're going to say, Jesus, I need you. Maybe today God has brought you to that point. In a moment, we're going to pray together, and I want you to give your major storms to Jesus. Just choose three. Don't choose them all. But I want you to give those storms to Jesus. And it's only the beginning of the process. Tomorrow when the burden comes back on you, don't receive it. You remind Jesus that this storm is his and no longer yours. But first of all, a story. Rebecca and I have had the privilege of flying from O'Hare Airport to Frankfurt many times. It's been my privilege to lead tours to the sites of the Reformation. And um, let us suppose that we were beginning to cross the ocean, and you have to use your imagination, pretend that security is not an issue. And I were to say to the flight attendant, would you check to see if the American airline pilots are awake? She comes back and says, yeah, they are awake. An hour later, I say to myself, you know, I've known people who have fallen asleep in an hour. Would you check to see if the pilots are awake? And she does it, and she comes back and says, yeah, they are awake. And then I'm a little embarrassed to ask her another time, but we're talking about when does this flight get to Frankfurt? How often do you have to fly? And then I say, well, now that we're talking, would you check to see if the pilots are awake? 
And she says to me, in frustration, let me make a deal with you. I'll pour you a cup of coffee if you promise to step outside and drink it. And then she says, you're insulting the pilots of American Airlines. And I would be. Brothers and sisters, you and I insult God every single day. We give him something and then we say, well, have you solved it? Have you taken care of it? And if not, why not? Don't you see this? Don't you see that? And, you know, where are you? Are you awake? What we need to do is to be willing to give our burdens to God in such a way that when they return, we say, Lord, these burdens actually belong to you. Now, I'll tell you why it's so hard to get rid of worry. It's because when you stop worrying, you think to yourself, that means I'm no longer in charge, or it means I no longer care. Well, first of all, you're not in charge anyway. Thank you. There's nothing that you can do to change your circumstances. I mean some circumstances, but usually the bad ones you can't. And furthermore, the Bible says, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. A woman in Chicago said, well, Pastor Lutzer, if I quit worrying, I'd have nothing to think about it from early, to think about from early morning to late at night. Why don't you think about the scriptures? How about reading the book of Mark and just skip Fox News for a while? How's that for an idea? So what you want to do is to say, Jesus, this burden is yours. Not going to be checking to see if you're awake. I am going to be giving you praise all the time because I'm going to thank you for what you have appointed. And so you begin to look at life differently because he cares for you. The very hair of your head is numbered. And this morning there was someone here near the back who could do his own counting of his hair. But God takes care of you. He notices the sparrow that falls to the ground. And he's, his eye is on that sparrow. And he's on you. He sees you today in your storm. Now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to have a moment of silence. And I want you to pray. If God has talked to you, you talk to God. And we're only going to take out a few minutes to do this. It really takes longer, but it will get you into the habit of giving your storm to God because Jesus died with your storm in mind. Father, you know how prone we are to worry. That's why your word tells us over and over again, do not be afraid, and yet we are afraid. Oftentimes it's because of anger, things have not worked out, injustice, oh Lord, how injustice bothers us. We ask today, Lord, that you will enable these dear people and all of us to say, Jesus, today I give you my storm. And for those who have never savingly believed on Jesus as the captain of their ship, overcome their reticence, their pride, their anger, and may they believe on you. And remember, you are in charge. 
and they aren't. And now, a moment of silence. You talk to God if God has talked to you. Oh, Father, in a world with so much stress, we're reminded of Jesus who said, Oh, you of little faith. May we leave here not looking at the wind, but seeing beyond the wind to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.